my name is Tyler Harding, the lead pastor here at Antioch, and um, uh, we're going to continue our series called The Way. And, um, you know, this, this time of year, we all get a little softer, we get a little more compassionate. Um, I think it's partly due to the clothing we wear. We kind of cuddle up in our sweaters, you know. I mean, I have, I have some sweaters. I have some uh, uh, flannels. Uh, uh, the staff jokes, I own about 12 flannels. So um, I don't know if I wore this one last Sunday or not. I just keep rotating them. Um, so I love flannels. They kind of make me feel cozy, kind of soften me up a little bit. I'm not sweating as much, right? And so we just kind of feel like a little more, a little more compassion, a little more love in the air. And, you know, um, this, this time of year, even though that's maybe kind of what the environment's bringing, at the same time, it can make us a little crazy, right? Um, and so we're, 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 maybe you look back in the summer and you're thinking, hey, we've got all this kind of spare time. We're trying to come up with things to do, right? I don't think that's this time of the year right now. Um, I, at least personally, last three weeks, I have not had much spare time for anything. Uh, if I have spare time, it is usually dealing with shopping for Christmas for like 40 people, um, or it is tending to other things going on, wrapping up stuff with the church or, or with my kids' schooling, and so, or there's parties and stuff to go to. We're trying to make travel plans for three consecutive weekends, and so all that sort of stuff, it just kind of makes this time of year a little busy. And when we get busy, we can tend to overlook things that are right in front of us, right? We, we can tend to overlook something that maybe would have seen before, but even though our hearts want to kind of slow down and get, but at the same time, our mind is racing with stuff happening, things go, you know, places to be, and then we're, and then we're starting to kind of prepare and kind of gear up for, is this Christmas going to be a mission trip, you know? Like, am I going home to be, to be a missionary to my family, which some of you are? Am I going home just to try to love on people? I'm kind of, I'm kind of working through all that, and I'm probably in this room. Some of you guys are really looking forward to spending Christmas with family, and some of you guys are like, uh, it's not really the greatest time of the year for me, um, but I get to go home. I get to be Jesus to some people that maybe know him, maybe don't know him. And so what I want to say is that this time of the year, just because things get busy doesn't mean that we need to overlook the things right in front of us. And so what we're going to be talking about today is we're talking about generosity, generosity, because generosity actually requires you to pause. It requires you to maybe stop what you're doing for a moment. And to look up and to look around. Now, in our, in our country, um, you know, there's arguments out there about our founding fathers and what they really believe. But here's what I do know is in our founding documents, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, there are things that are in there that are woven in that are so biblically clear that you can't help but look and say, hey, there really is a basis for the Judeo-Christian values being at the center, at the foundation of our country's founding of this idea of freedom, this idea of liberty, this idea of that there is a creator God and therefore that what we do is directed towards him, what we do and how we treat people, the, the laws we set up, there's justice and, there is, uh, and, and, and there's due process. There are things set up in our country that were, were not really set up around other countries around the world at the time and we really were a place, uh, a place of light, a place of hope. Not that our country is perfect and not that our, our country has plenty of issues today, but there's a place we go back to and say, hang on a second, there's things that we do in our society, but a lot of times people don't really know where they came from. Now, these can be simple things, right? Just like love. Like, where did love come from? Well, the Bible says God first loved us, so it actually came from God. What about serving? Where did that come from? Well, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, so Jesus kind of led the way in that one. 
honor. We've seen the scriptures, uh, uh, Paul writing, outdo one another in showing honor. Kindness, his kindness leads us to repentance. You can go down the list and list out a hundred things, a thousand things, and you can connect the dots back to the nature of God. The values that we uphold, the things of integrity and, and, and peace and all these different things. These are things that came that we have actually gotten, that we've actually received from God the Father, from who he is, from his nature. But what's important to know is that whether it's us as adults or as children, people have to know where things came from and why we do them. We can't just be told the what or the how. We have to know the why. We have to know where they came from. So let's, let's, let's dive into generosity. And I'm gonna take a little different angle than maybe you're used to. If you're thinking I'm about to talk about money for 30 minutes, you're wrong, so I'm not doing that. <clears throat> um, I am gonna talk about <clears throat> who God is and his nature, which in the end, I just want us to know that the reason why we wanna preach values, the reason why we teach values, and yes, we will teach principles and different things, but the reason we teach values is because when we get the values of the kingdom in us, we don't have to give you a list of ways for that to play itself out, right? And so Jesus actually led the way and broke the mold in this way of teaching and developing people, you know? Like he taught his guys values. He didn't just teach them good principles or best practices. What he taught them were the values of the kingdom, and then when they got that in them, then he knew they would actually take off in so many different directions you couldn't even keep up. You couldn't even label all of them. Well, what is that? I don't know. It's just a value of the kingdom. It's just going because when it's planted like a mustard seed, this thing grows and it multiplies. And so Jesus knew that as he was bringing the kingdom to earth, depositing it amongst people, men and women, and here we are today, 2,000 years later, still learning from him, still receiving his teaching, still trying to get the kingdom into us and to every next generation. That is why the church exists. The church would not need to exist if everything was accomplished 2,000 years ago. It wasn't. That was the beginning. And I don't know when the end is. All I know is that Jesus said, hey, here's a mission. And I'm going to have you live out these values and teach these values to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And then I want these values to get woven into families, generations that have actually never heard about these values. So I want you to actually go on mission. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to share the gospel. I want you to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. I want you to demonstrate my power to a people who don't believe that I'm a powerful God. And then when they know that the power comes from me, then they know that there is salvation, which is the ultimate power, forgiveness of sins. And then all of a sudden now I'm starting to make inroads into different people groups and into different nations, into different cities, into different societies, into families that maybe for 100 years they're in some small town in Texas and they've just been anti-God and very rebellious and everyone's going to jail. Next thing you know, someone gets saved at A&M, they then go back home to their very crazy family, they start bringing the light to that family and the family's like, whoa, what's happening here? And next thing you know, they start dropping like dominoes in the kingdom. It's like, bop, 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 bop. there goes grandpa. He's the, oh, there goes the uncle. There goes a the crazy aunt. Oh, she's in the kingdom now. <clears throat> there goes my brother who's been arrested so many times I can't count. He's in the kingdom now. Anyone have that story? <clears throat> I know some of you have that story because I know some of your stories. I know that some of you were the very first follower of Jesus in your family. And some of you still are the only follower of Christ in your family. And I'm telling you, you have so many stories and so many years worth of other people that are saying, I was just like you, by the way. I stepped into my family's house and I said, I will not judge. I will not condemn, but I will be a light. Because that's what Jesus taught me. 
Jesus didn't say, hey, come hang out with me, tax collectors, so I can rail against all the things you've done. What did he do? Hey, come on down from there. Me? Yeah, you. Let's go eat some dinner. You want to eat dinner? At your house. Wow, you survived yourself to my house. I can't believe you would come to my house. You're like a holy person. Yeah, I can't believe you would do that. The Pharisees say, you can't do that. You can't interact with us. I know, but I'm going to come eat. What are you serving tonight? I'll eat that. You're going to eat that? Yeah, I'll eat that with you. Hey, let me share a story with you. Hey, aren't you going to condemn me like the Pharisees? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you there's a God who loves you. He's willing to forgive you. Did he tell Zacchaeus, go ahead and return everything three times over? That's not in there, is it? Jesus sat down, prayed, and then now Zacchaeus, before we start eating, please go and pay back everybody three times what you stole, and then we'll keep talking. But that's how we approach it, don't we? <laughs> hey, now, you clean yourself up, and then come back and talk to me with a smile on your face. Uh-uh. Jesus said, you can come in grumpy. That's cool. You know why that's cool? That didn't affect me. You know why? Because the spirit of me is greater than the spirit in you and the world. And I have the spirit. And so you can be angry and foaming at the mouth. We're good. How you doing? I have the spirit of God in me. You can keep yelling. I'm still going to be here. And the more you yell, the more peace is going to rise up in me. The more angry you get, the more love is going to come out of my heart. The more you try to offend me, the less I'm going to become offended. Uh-oh. Wait, that's the kingdom. It's when you start flipping things. They're like, this is weird. You should be reacting. I know I should, but I'm not going to because I had the light of the world in me. And I'm just going to keep shining. And eventually, you're going to wake up and realize that what I'm shining is actually something that you want. And when you're ready, we'll talk about it. But until then, I'm going to live peacefully. I'm going to receive a joy, give a joy. I'm going to be a blessing everywhere I go. I'm not going to harbor old things. I'm going to release and forgive. I'm going to be very different than everyone else who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to be so set apart and so so different, not self-righteous, not, not self-absorbed, but I'm going to be such a servant to where you're not really sure who I am anymore. You see me off the college, I came back very strange and different. But you like this strange and different. That's what the kingdom is, guys. That, that, that's what we're preaching about the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. Like, no one comes to the Father except through him. And the way is not just praying a prayer to accept Jesus in their heart. That is the beginning. That is not the end. That is the beginning step. And then you also then have to spend the rest of your life figuring out, how do I really follow him and his ways? Does it make sense? So we talk about generosity. I want us to look at the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2. Now, just to give you some context, we're going to go to verse 16 and 18. Here's the summarized version of Esther is that Esther, well, uh, let me back up. The Jews are in exile, and the Babylonians came and captured them. And then they messed up. Nebuchadnezzar got all selfish and self-absorbed. And then, and then all of a sudden, Daniel had this dream. and said, hey Neb, hey, Neb, guess what? You're going down. And so the Medes and the Persians show up. They then take on Babylon, and they then divide the kingdom. They then conquer. And so the Persians took on a bunch of these Jews. And so now the Jews are this minority in the, king of, in, in, in the Persian Empire. And so, you know, Queen... Queen Vashti kind of did something to really irk, irk the king. And so, and, and his officials said, hey, man, Queen Vashti needs to be out of here. So he said, well, hey, go out in the land and find a bunch of young virgins. And I want them to bring them to the palace. And we're going to put treatments on them. And we're going we're gonna to set them aside. And, 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 then, and then, king, you're going you're gonna to choose your next queen. So the story goes, and all of a sudden, Esther, who's a Jew, who no one really knew about that, she then becomes the woman that actually the king so here we go in verse 2, starting in 16 through 18. And when Esther was taken to King Azarhazus, so just so you know, that's also King Xerxes, okay, um, into his royal palace in the 10th month, 
which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. So I'm going to pack this for just a moment here. <clears throat> what do we see here? We, we see kind of five basic things is what I see in these verses. Um, first, <clears throat> you see that Esther was brought into the royal palace as an outsider, as a Jew, not as a Persian. She had no standing, no resume, no royal blood in her. She was from humble beginnings. And yet in the seventh year of this king's reign, he says, out with this queen, and, I'm, and I want this woman, I'm going to bring her into the royal palace. She has shown love from the king. She has shown love that is not with any strings attached. She's shown love without any credentials. But she was selected. She was chosen as an outsider, as a foreigner, someone who doesn't belong there. She was chosen and brought in to the royal palace. The second thing we see is that Esther, it says that she was loved deeply and that she won grace and favor in his sight. He bestowed grace and favor upon her as Esther. Just like God's love, God's grace, God's favor, by the way, it is unmerited, meaning that we do not earn it. It is given to us. He gave it to her. Just like when someone calls on the name of Jesus, there is a grace extended to that person. They have no standing. There is grace extended to say, I will love you. I will forgive you. But wait, you don't understand. I haven't done all the right things. I know you haven't. That's why I'm forgiving you. When you call upon the name of Jesus, you will be saved. There is a place of grace and favor that king bestows upon Esther in the way that God bestows upon us. Then, then it says that he, he placed a royal crown on her head. I mean, talk about a pretty quick transformation. She's living with her uncle. She's hanging out in this small little village. She gets taken against her will, by the way, put into the royal palace. And then all of a sudden, then she's selected as the future queen. He shows her love and grace and favor and then puts a royal crown on her head, which then all of a sudden elevates her to number two in the entire kingdom. It's like, whoa, that was a quick fast track. I mean, you know, I mean, she's elevated to become the queen. It's just like undeserving people like us go from being slaves to being sons and daughters. The slaves to sin to sons and daughters of the most high king. You know, I love the, the book C.S. Lewis wrote, the Narnia, right? Like all the Narnia books. And the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, you've probably, many of you have seen the movie. I love the scene where you've got Lucy and, and Susan and Edmund and Peter, these young children who just get kind of into this little world, and all of a sudden Aslan, he then appoints them, at the end of the, at the end of the movie, appoints them as kings and queens of Narnia. No, they weren't born in Narnia. They were outside. They weren't from there. But all of a sudden, Aslan, representing really God, God, God the Father, then selects them and says, hey, you're going to lead. You're going to be the rulers of this region. Think about that. Think about how God does that in the movie and really in Aslan, and he points them, and he's asking what? For you guys to rule as I would rule. And so when God the Father reaches in and he rescues us and he, and he saves us, and he pulls us into his royal family, what is he saying? He's saying, 
I need you to rule like I rule. I need you to lead the way that I lead. I need you to love the way that I love. You see, there's a responsibility actually attached with our salvation, which is we are saved into something, not just out of sin, but we are saved into a relationship, right? So you're not just saved from your sins, you are. But you're saved from your sins, why? So that you can be like, I'm saved from my sins. Feeling pretty clean, great. What else is new? Well, I'm clean now. Awesome. No, you are clean so that you can then be before the holy God. And then Jesus said, hey, I know this guy. (laughs) He's with me. Say, cool. Hey, you can listen to him. Great. Father, you said ask, and I'm going to ask. Father, I want to, would you speak to me? Would you know my heart? This is, this is the relationship. You are saved into a relationship so that you can come alive. So you can stop eking out life and just kind of, kind of anxiously living and kind of trying to get through and just kind of, I'll just live for another day. Uh-uh. He came that we would have abundant life, life to the full. That is God's heart. He puts a royal crown on her head. It denotes authority. And power, honor. Did you know that that's what God does? When he saves you, he may not give you a position or title that we know about, but he saves you in a relationship. Then he says, hey, you know what? I'm giving you authority. Just like Adam and Eve, I gave them authority. And they gave it away. But then I came so I could get it back. And then I could then distribute it to whoever I wanted to distribute it to. And so Jesus came and he took back the authority. He said, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you authority over evil spirits. I'm going to give you authority over Jesus. I'm going to give you authority over broken situations because I'm going to move through you. Yes, I could do it all myself, but instead I chose to do it through people. Isn't that incredible? Just stop and think for a second. The generosity of God to literally use us to help people get whole. That's crazy. Like to use us to share a message with people of hope that they can say things can be different. That, that to use us to literally be in a conversation potentially with someone that could change the trajectory of their entire eternity. We're not just talking the next 50 years. That's, that's long, but eternity. And potentially that we have the chance to actually sow the seeds of the gospel into a person in this town who may take that back to their country or take that back to their hometown, and that little seed gets planted, and then you look up, and next thing you know, there's 20,000 people that are in the kingdom now and have their future and hope in heaven and in Jesus because one person decided to have coffee with another person. Right? I mean, that's the scale we're talking about. That's the generosity of God on display, in full display, because he's saying, I will use you, just little you, Little tiny you, made of dust, one of seven and a half billion currently, one of I don't know how many billions for all of the history. I'm going to use you. Oh, I love that. That means no one's insignificant. There's not a person on the planet who doesn't have value. There's not one person. I don't care who they are. I don't care if there's mental issues. I don't care if they're, if they're undeveloped. I don't care if they've been so, I don't care. Every single person has value because God made them. He put his hand under them and said, you have value. They may not know they have value. They may have been beaten up, scarred up, abused their whole lives to be told they not have value. But can I just tell you, all it takes is one word from the Father and one moment of putting a crown on their head to say, oh, I got value again. Did you know that it does not, it's, it, our, our, our American logical mind says, 
the amount of years of pain, I need to then outdo that with the amount of years of, like, good stuff, right? Like, oh, 20 years of pain, I have 20 years of good stuff. Then I'll finally get the breakthrough. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. That that would be a worldly mindset. A kingdom mindset is 20 years of pain, five minutes, healing, we're there. It's like, that's not fair. I'm glad that's not fair. (laughs) Right? I'm really glad that God isn't treating us fairly as we would see him. I love that. I love that he's not fair. He just does what he wants to do. That is who God is. Celebration. You know, what's crazy about the story is Esther's brought in, crown her head, and then it says they actually have a great feast in her honor. And all the officials and servants could attend, which means if you were part of the royal household, you were invited to this huge party. Meaning if you were the guy washing the tile floors or one of the officials over at province, you were invited. See, I love it because King Xerxes, the king of Persia, he did not really know what he was doing. What he was doing, he was actually revealing the Father without knowing it. Don't you laugh how God uses people all the time? He just, it's like, what just happened? I just revealed God's heart. Yes, you did. I didn't know I was going to do that, and you just did that, right? You brought someone, you showed love and grace and favor. You established authority on them. You didn't even know them. Next thing you know, you're throwing this huge party for them. You're celebrating this person, and you're bringing everyone high and low to the party saying, Anyone who's part of this royal household can be part of this dinner. But you got to be part of that royal household. you got to be part of that family. <clears throat> now, what's interesting is you see here in verse 18, in the ESV, it says, He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Another translation in the NASB says, He also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. Now, at first glance, it's like, wait a second, this is crisscross. It's not good. It's contradicting itself. Is it remission of taxes or is it a holiday? Now, just to give you a little bit of history here is um, once the Jews settled in the promised land, they began to observe these seven-year cycles, meaning every cycle, the seventh year, would culminate in a sabbatical year known as a shemitah, literally to release. The seventh year, okay? So here in the king's seventh-year reign, he invites... Esther to be his queen. And when you look at his translations about what he did at the very end here, at the end of the banquet, it says a remission of taxes to the provinces, says, or in the other translation, he also made a holiday. Let me, let me translate that. A holiday, a celebration, a giving of rest. That's why we go on holiday, right? People have time off. This is, we're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to actually rest and relax. I'm not sure all of us do that, but we should be doing that. That is the point of a holiday. And remission literally means canceling debts to pardon, or another way to say it is forgiveness. The king of Persia, in honor of his new bride, he celebrates and says, you know what? I'm going to actually cancel the debts of all the provinces. And by the way, you guys go into a crazy holiday. Have fun. That sounds ridiculous. I've never heard of that happening with another empire. It may have happened. I've never heard of that. Of someone saying, you know what? You guys are good. No taxes. We're going to have a big holiday. Have fun. It's like, where did that come from? This guy ruled with an iron fist. I mean, they dominated. They had an incredible army and just conquered territory. territory. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. He got around Queen Esther. He's like, this gal's different. He was married to Queen Vashti. He didn't do all this. He could have done this. But all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, he got around the right woman. 
Just so you know, for your men out here. Amen. Maybe your solution also. Struggling in life. Hey, man. Another bright woman. What happened was this guy started interfacing with this woman of like, wow, who? Something's different. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, the kingdom is being downloaded to this king, and he's just doing stuff he never did before. In Deuteronomy 15, 1 and 2, it says, The end of every seven years you shall grant a release. Now, this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. The Lord's release has been proclaimed. So this is what they did, the Jews, what they did. So here we have the king of Persia in the seventh year choosing Esther to be queen, hosting a feast. And if you know how the story unfolds with Esther, guess what happens? This is what's so interesting. Year seven, she's invited in, okay? So this, like, seventh year, this kind of restful year, this kind of sabbatical year, all of a sudden this king's kind of doing this thing. But then three years later, old Haman shows up on the scene, and this guy's been working some, like, evil magic, okay? He's been trying to stir up a thing to make the Jews be like the bad guys so he can have a chance to literally destroy all of them. Now, Haman comes from a long line of having bad blood with the Jews, right? He was actually a descendant of, Ga- of, of Agag, right? King Agag, the one that Saul was supposed to actually destroy and kill, and he didn't. He let the guy go. Next thing you know, there's a descendant, and he wants payback. And so three years into the queen, three years in is when Haman is exposed, and the Jews are saved. And I was thinking to myself, okay, Jesus came on the scene at around 30, and he started imparting the kingdom values. He started showing the world who the Father really was. He started rubbing off on people. He started doing things people had never seen before. And I guarantee you, Queen Esther started doing things in the Persian kingdom they had never seen before. They had never heard before. They never had that kind of expression. Because she was a devout woman of God. She was a Jewish woman who loved the Father. And three years later, the release happens. And I'm thinking to myself, I've seen this before. Right? This is the story of Jesus. And this is what he does to us. Now, I just want to point you to something here real briefly because it would be amiss if we just look at the story of Esther without looking at Jesus actually sharing a very similar story in the book of Luke. In Luke 15, 20 through 24, I'm just going to read these last few verses, but this is the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son story. If you know the story, this man, Jesus tells us parable. He says this man, he had two sons, and, and one of his sons, he, he went off, and he said, I want my inheritance. I want to go. I'm going to go be, be on my own. And so he goes off and lives his life and becomes rebellious and ends up squandering all of his money and gets down to the point where he's kind of sleeping and eating alongside the pigs, which are pretty gross. And so, and so there he is, and he finally comes to this broken place, and he says, I'm going to go back and go to my father, maybe to say, maybe if I can just become a hired hand, and maybe he'll accept me, maybe I can just kind of hang out, at least I can have maybe food and water and shelter, but there's no way I'm expecting for him to say, you can be my son still. I've kind of passed on that because of what I've done. He doesn't know everything I've done, but I, if he did, he would know. I would, he would never want to be, he would never want to be my dad in that way again. So here we go in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, talking about the son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I read that story and I was like, that's Esther's story. The father came and embraced his son with love. Bestowed on him grace and favor. He gave him authority, the robe on him. Gave him the ring back. The ring meant like you are part of the family, son. I want everyone to know that now. You are the ring. It wasn't a crown, it was a ring. And then they had this big celebration meal. They killed one of their choices, most beefed up, fattened cast. It had a lunch of filet mignons on it and good juicy steak. And they said, we're going to celebrate with that one. I want the best one for my son. He's returned. And did his son clean himself up? He probably still smelled like pigs. Did his son already write a letter ahead of time and say, Dad, I want you to know I'm coming back. You want to plan a party for me? That's cool with me. None of that happened. His son came humbly, he came hungry, and he came desperate. And can I just say, for any person on the planet, here's what I know of God the Father. When you come hungry, when you come humble, when you come desperate, he is there to embrace you. You may not even be a physical touch guy, and he's going to embrace you, and you're going to like it. And he's going to hug you and say, I forgive you. I love you. All I have is yours. But, 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 Dad, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know where I've been. No, no, it doesn't matter. All I have is yours. This love isn't conditional. You don't get to dictate who I love. I love who I want to love, and I love you. I love you. You know, we look at this idea of royal generosity. It's coming from a royal king, Jesus who came and lived a life and said, this is going to be the most generous act you've ever heard of, you've ever seen, you've ever witnessed in all of mankind, in all of history. It's God sending his son, Jesus, to live on this earth amongst us, to show us the way of the kingdom, to just give us a glimpse, but enough, where a few people could take it and run with it. And then he died on the cross so that really he could finish the work he came to do, which is to make a way for you and me to know God the Father, to restore a broken relationship. Or he'd be the ultimate sacrifice. And so Jesus came and he lived and then he died and hope was lost just for a moment, just for a day or two. And then he rose from the grave and started appearing to people. Over 500 people, it says, and he appeared to them. And next thing you know, the church explodes, stuff's happening, people are getting the world's rock, transformation's happening, empires are crumbling and falling because the light of the kingdom is in and now stuff's rubbing off of them and things are changing. The world is changing and that is the story of God, and that is the most generous thing he's done for us. But it didn't just, it wasn't a one-and-done event. It continues. You know, I um, just want to end with this story here because I think it shows what God does and some of what happens. Um, a couple years ago, I was just at home one day. I got a phone call. Someone called me, and they said, Hey, Tyler, i got to come meet with you. I said, okay. I said, well, we're kind of into some stuff. He said, no, it's really important. i got to come meet with you. I said, okay. So he came over to my house, and I had this real serious look on his face. and said, okay. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, can we, can we go on the back porch and talk? I said, okay. So I went out there. And um, he, he went out there, and he had, he had this, this, this sheet of paper, and he pulled it out with some plans. And he said, hey, I want to tell you something. Let me tell you a little story here. And he told me a story of how God had 
come into his life the last few years and just began wrecking him and changing him that he had really gone wired. He, he was kind of, I was kind of like the prodigal son, really. And God's redeemed my, my life and has begun doing things in me I've never thought possible and restoring marriage, restoring friendships, all this sort of stuff. And, and he came to me and he said, you know, um, as I started reading the Bible again and just asking God, what do you want me to do? I felt as clear as day that he said, there's this piece of land that you own that's no longer yours. But it's actually to be, it's actually to be given away. He said, well, God, it's not mine. My name's on it. I don't, he said, no, it's not yours anymore. So you need to release it, like now. And this guy would tell you he, doesn't, he wasn't like always like hearing God, and he was kind of still a little questioning that thing. But he was like, no, this was clear. You know, sometimes you kind of hesitate, but you're like, oh, no, that, that's clear. Like that was one of those moments. <laughs> um, so he said, okay. And so he went to his people, and he said, hey, I need to draw this up. I'm going to get this away. And they're like, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm going to, this is not mine anymore. He said, well, yeah, it is. Your name's, he said, no, it's not mine. Um, God's been changing my heart, and he said, this needs to be given to the church. And so he's telling me this whole story, and he says, so I want you to know. He said, one, I don't, want, I don't want people to know who I am. I don't want people to know who gave this gift. I just want you to know this is for you, and it's not mine anymore. It's out of my hands. Whatever you choose to do with it, do with it. But I believe that God's allowing me slash making me <laughs> give it to you. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how it works with God, you know. Um, he's making me give it to you because that's the future for the church. And so this is a couple years ago, and, you know, if you were here a few years ago, we went through it, we kind of looked at it, and like, okay, what do we do? And we started with an architecture firm to work on doing designs and stuff, and, and then I, I woke up like four or five months later one morning, and I was, I was on, a, on a pastor's retreat, and I woke up, my stomach, my, my stomach was turning. I just, I was sick to my stomach. And I was like, Lord, what's going on? And he said, you scrapped those plans. I said, really? We just, we like rolled out this building campaign, and we like... All this time, he said, that's not for you. And I was like, are we sure? Because, I mean, I can, we talked before, and it seemed like pretty good. <laughs> and um, I'll just be honest, guys. I don't like uh, making mistakes as a leader. Um, and I really had to wrestle through. I said, wow, Lord, I just made a huge mistake. And you know what he said to me through prayer and friends and counsel? He's like, you didn't make a mistake. Um, you had to go through a process. And you went down one road, and I'm just going to deviate that. You were faithful to do what I asked you to do, but now I'm changing the course. And, you know, so I said, okay. So we have this land. We scrapped these plans. We then looked at opportunity next to the piece of land we had and felt like God was initiating with us to buy land. And we had been kind of frugal in many ways for the early years of the church. We've saved a lot of money and we were able to buy another piece of land right next to it just with cash, and um, which now makes it 8.2 acres of land that we own as a church, and, and we have sat on it. I just haven't felt, we felt restless and just felt like the Lord said a couple years ago, hey, don't worry about the land in the building right now. Focus on getting the church healthy. So get the right people on the team, the right volunteers, the right staff, get your finances in order, get your, your DNA in order, make sure that you are missional people don't even talk about it. And so if you've been here for a while and you're like, whatever happened to the building? Um, <laughs> it's not I haven't thought about it, but the Lord said, don't talk about it. Uh, and so we did it. And we have people like, hey, didn't we, do we sell that land? Did we sell that? Or what's going on? And <clears throat> so 
If you felt like you've been left in the dark, it's been on purpose. Um, <laughs> just so you know. It, it's, it's been on purpose because I clearly felt like God said, don't talk about it right now. Focus on the church. Invest in people. Make disciples. Send people to nations. Raise up church planners. Invest in the marketplace. Get stuff going with education and business and healthcare. Start getting your people healthy. Figure out marriages and parenting and how to engage students. Like, this is, this is the church. Don't worry about that. And then a couple months ago, the Lord was like, okay, it's time to start talking about it again. <laughs> so I'm just sharing that with you to say the generosity of God gave us a track of land that is worth more than we could ever afford. And we'll unveil more stuff about it uh, in February. But I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know just two months out, we're going to be launching a, a building campaign for our church. And um, yeah, I think it's exciting. And I'm, I'm telling you that because I want you to know a couple of things. Number one, um, we're going to do this because God's leading us to do it. And that's simple. And that's clear to me. It's not because we're trying to be someone or whatever. We're just... We're faithful what God's initiated. And God's initiated, this is where you're going to build your church. So great. Um, number two, the location, which is God's idea, through this person who gifted it, um, is uh, there's no other churches in town in this part of town. It's across the railroad tracks, um, over across Welburn Road, and we'll share more information later. But it's a track of land that's surrounded by student housing, by family development, and it's all neighborhoods. And there's not a church over there. Um, and it's, it's not off the, the main highway. It's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, which I like because that means people are going to come because you're going to invite them. Amen. Um, they're going to come out of relationship, and that's really how the church started in the book of Acts, and that's how we're going to continue to do it. And um, what we're doing and what we're building, I just want you to know it's not, like, it's not about the building, and it is about the building because if you don't have a building, we always have to do church in the green, um, which is great when it's nice and cool but not when it's 105, <laughs> and then you guys won't come. And so um, having a roof actually helps people to come. Um, having a place for kids so they're not on here hanging out. They could all be in here hanging out, and you would have a tale of the time. 120 kids running around here right now. And so we have to create a space in order that we can, that everybody can get what they need in God by coming to worship him, coming to engage, coming to learn. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to have a space that's going to be incredible. We're really excited about it. And we're going to try to be as lean as possible just because we want to honor God with our finances and do, Lord, what do we need to do? And what do we not need to do? And we're going to push going it. Yep. And so I'm telling you this because I want you to know this journey started out with God initiating through someone to gift us a track of land that is incredible. And our goal is to raise the funds needed to then start construction on this soon. We'll unveil more details in February and we'll talk about it on the Sunday morning. But I just want you to know our heart is that the vision is, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Yeah. And whether that's a building with people, a, a physical building, structures, systems, all that is, 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 is in that. But, but the heart is that we're a people that are saying, we're not going to change who we are no matter on the location. Yeah. And, um, and this location has been amazing. and It's been incredible. And, um, uh, but we feel like God's initiating us for, to move this location eventually. So I want you to know that ahead of time as you go into Christmas, you think about budgeting and unapologetically we are going to ask everyone to jump in and be a part of it. I'm really bleeding for 100% participation, whether that's you have $5 to give or $50,000 to give, um, because it's a group effort. And when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, it's a group effort. Everybody's got to do their part in the wall. Some people built more, some people built less, but everyone participated. And so whether you're a student or a young adult or family, empty nester, whether you're a lot or little, some of you have parents who are like, hey, I'm just looking to give money away to stuff. Let them give to the building. I don't know. I mean... (laughs) 
honestly, like, I have parents, I'm asking them, hey, mom and dad, I want you to give towards this building. And why? Because your son, not just because I lead it, but because it's transformed my life. And it's transforming people's lives. And we're reaching students more than lots of stuff. And, and, and we're trying to send them out as kingdom people. And so that, that's our heart. And so I tell people, look, unapologetically, we're going to ask people to be part of this because we believe in what God's doing here through us and with us. We want to continue to distribute around the world and around the nation. And that's our heart. So I just want you to know, as you hear building campaign, all that sort of stuff, don't get weird about that. Just work that through with Jesus and move on. But things cost money. And if they were free, we'd do it all free, you know. But it's not. And so that's just the way it is. Does it make any sense? So God's initiating this. God's giving us land. We're going to do some celebrations on that, on that land this year. So um, we will be doing some stuff out there. It should, be, it should be pretty fun. But I want you to know, and I want you to know that because I want us to be able to celebrate that. I want to celebrate that, all right? So I want us to stand up here. Band, come on up here. Sorry I've gone long. We're doing this to you multiple weeks in a row. Um, but here we go. Thank you, Jesus. Um, yeah, man. Here, here, here's how we're going to end. Um, we're going to stay where you're at, so we're not going to have any leaders come up here today. But there's kind of two things just felt the Lord highlighted, which was one, um, some of us feel a little like Esther. We were pretty comfy in our little home, and then someone yanked us out and took us on a journey we didn't expect. And um, some of us are frustrated by that journey. It wasn't what you planned out. It may have been you came in as a freshman with a certain degree, and that's changed. It may have been that you were, you were going to marry this person that didn't work out. It may have been, I don't know, that you were trying to have children at this time that it happened. I, I don't know all the things that are painful and hurtful, but what I do know is that I trust God. Yeah. Yeah. And some of us have a place of pain, and they have to trust God. And what I see in the story of Esther is she trusted God. She had no idea what was going to happen, but she trusted him, no matter what happened. Whether she got picked or not picked, she trusted him. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, you're just saying, man, I feel like God's taking me on a bit of a twist and a turn I didn't expect, and you're struggling with trust. I just want you to go there as we're worshiping, just to, Lord, would you just restore that trust? Speak into that place. He may not even answer the why question. Why am I in this place right now? But it's not about you knowing why. It's about trusting him and his plans. And then some of us feel like, prodigal son and you're like man there's no way God really wants to be that generous and that loving because Tyler you don't know where I've been you don't know what I've done this year you don't know what I did last week and what I want to say is that the love of the father is not just for the wayward rebellious son who's gone off crazy it's also for the ones in the house that have just made some mistakes that have chosen to do some stuff they shouldn't have done they let their guard down they allowed temptation to take hold of them I just want you to know the Father's love is for you too. So if you're here and you're saying, I don't know, I just, I need a hug from the Father this morning, then just ask him, Lord, would you just show me your love again? Just can't pray earlier. Just show me your love again, God. Show me your forgiving love again. So just want you to close our eyes as we go into time of worship. Just wherever you're at. If you're feeling like Esther, twists and turns and not sure what's going on, if you feel, if you feel like you've, you've gone astray, God is here. Be sure to meet with you. So, Lord, we just ask you to meet with us. Spirit of the living God, meet with us. Minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name.